Millennial Pagan Podcast, the podcast that's bringing a voice to the growing number of millennial pagans and their brand of witchcraft, magic, practice, and worship. We're your hosts, Autumn Wolf. And Jarrah Stone. And in the studio, we have with us Naama. Hello. Hello. Did I say that right? Probably not, but that's okay. That's okay. As long as you don't call me Norma, everything is fine. (laughs) So uh, how's everybody doing this week? Outstanding, but improving. Outstanding but improving. Yes. Wow. But improving. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to be there. I, well, you can be. Just decide you are. Oh. It's not mine. I stole it from Zig Ziglar, but it makes me feel better. So I like it. Yeah. That's good. I it's, like it's good or getting better or outstanding but improving. Outstanding but improving. I like that. How about you, Autumn? I am snuffly. <laughs> I am coughing. <laughs> I I am draining through the nostrils. Y- you guys can't see this, but we actually have her in an isolation chamber about twenty feet away from us. I brought a face mask and then decided that I was going to cough more in the face mask than out of it. So yeah, it's a very shiny chamber, though. It is. It is. We we polished it for it's recently her. been cleaned and sanitized. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> from the last time mm. I was sick. I'm I'm still recovering from two conventions over the past three weeks. Yeah. How did I get your con cred? I it 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 happens. Uh, it just it gets to me and then it goes to somebody else because it knows that I can't afford to get con cred. I find that if I take oil of oregano and I eat a shit ton of garlic and onions about a week prior, um, and then like a lot of orange juice 48 hours prior, mm-hmm. Concrud can't touch me. I, I do I do a lot of vitamin C um, two days prior, mm-hmm. and then I up the dosage while I'm actually at the con. Mm-hmm. Don't forget so. zinc either. Yeah, zinc. Zinc is amazing. Mm-hmm. I like oil of oregano on the bottoms of my feet with socks on before I go to bed. Oh. Um, because the pores on the bottom of the feet are mm-hmm. the, the largest pores. Um, so it ends up being really effective to get right in your bloodstream. It kills everything. I do that with Vicks and then put on socks right before bed once Precisely. you have a flu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vicks does yeah. the same thing. It's just petroleum with camphor. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually do Vicks with the oil of oregano and it's a double punch. Um, but it it absorbs well at the bottom of the feet or in the armpits, believe it or not. So. I mean, yeah, very, very thin skin, get into the system very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my mom would be proud. It's actually interesting because long ago in ancient days when I tried for like a hot second to sell doTERRA oils, um, no knocking doTERRA, they're great. Like, don't get me wrong, but I can't handle that. I'm not an MLM person. But the like really cool thing I found about it was that with babies that have the snuffles, mm-hmm. if you put like a drop of the mint, the peppermint oil or the wintergreen on the bottoms of their feet, Within 10 minutes, you could pull their binky out and it would smell like mint. Oh, wow. That's how quickly it absorbs in the bloodstream if it's good quality oil. And like it's a it's an actual test like to see how good it is. But that's it's actually effective. Like the human body is incredible. Oh, oh hell. So. That, that's a good hint for Phelan with mm-hmm. her little small fry. Yeah. Two, two minutes into the podcast, we're already uh, going above and beyond witchiness. I love it. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Despite the fact that we just went on uh, common cures or um, non-common cures, Naama is here with us to discuss a different type of goddess worship and witchcraft than what we normally associate with paganism. But first, Naama, would you like to share your coming of witch story? I would love to. And I want to thank both of you uh, so much for letting me come on here. This is really exciting. It's the first time I've been on a podcast that I wasn't in charge of. So that's really exciting to not have to be the boss. Yay! It's 
it's, it's good to be the guest rather than having to do everything. I really don't know what that feels like. So I'm, I'm trying to be present right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Soak it up. This is almost the easy part, but you have to come with all the knowledge. I, that I can do. That's easy. Sweet. Um, so coming of which, coming of which. Okay. So I'm 37 now. I can honestly say that the United States Girl Scouts, like the Girl Scouts of America are the reason that I became pagan. Um, and that basically stems from high school. So I was about 14 and I was sitting in a Girl Scout meeting feeling incredibly awkward as a 14 year old would. And (laughs) my best friend at the time, Carolyn, who is still my friend to this day, um, walks by me and I'm staring like at the floor doing God knows whatever 14 year old angsty thing I was doing and (laughs) drops a book in my lap. And it was Hmm. The Wicca Craft by Jarena Dunwich. So I don't know if you remember that one from ages no. and ages ago. It was, it's very, very Wicca light. It's like uh, white light and, and just very structured, rigid Wicca. Mm-hmm. Um, and it fell in my lap and I went, what the heck is this? And she went, I don't know. I picked it up at the bookstore and it seemed like it was all, all for you. And I was like, okay. So I basically read it over the course of a weekend and I could not put it down. And I remembered thinking after reading that book it was a it was that aha light bulb moment and I went oh my god there's a name for what I am because I knew there was something weird about me my Mm -hmm. entire life Mm -hmm. you know I could talk to the wind and I could charm animals and I could tell when the weather was going to change and you know when the earth would hurt I would hurt in Mm -hmm. my bones you know and I knew there was something true about it because my mom was always telling me stop that knock it off that's weird I was like, Dah, I'm doing something. I know I am. And, you know, so I, I got into all kinds of like witchy movies and like The Watcher in the Woods was a big one from Disney, the one scary Disney movie that ever existed. Um, so I always knew I was different, but I thought there was something wrong with me. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with me. So I read The Wake of Craft by Jarena Dunwich and I committed from that point to the year and a day. And like good on me being 14 and committing to anything so I did (laughs) I mean yeah so after a year and a day on Beltane of 1996 uh on the first day of my moon Mm -hmm. I climbed to the top of a mountain in uh, southern California in an area called Porter Ranch uh Porter Ranch Northridge uh way in the north end of the valley and climbed that mountain with my dog and found three oak trees at the top of the mountain um, and set up a little altar on a rock and looked out on the entire Los Angeles basin and did a makeshift ceremony for Beltane and dedicated myself to the goddess. And uh, pretty much from that point, I was committed to the pagan path like 150%. and being a teenager, that means very little. Like, we don't really know what we're doing when we're 16 <laughs> years old. We think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I devoured every book I could find. I ended up cleaving to Scott Cunningham, may he rest in power, and Starhawk, may she reign forever. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I started to understand that as a young mind, as a sponge mind, I had the right to read literature and see if it was for me. Mm-hmm. 
and decide if it was my flavor and that it wasn't the dogma of being raised Jewish, which I was. It wasn't the dogma of like the traditional patriarchy of this is just how it is. No, this was every flavor under the rainbow of goddess worship and earth worship. Mm -hmm. And I was very drawn to Native American and First Nations spirituality. And it just sort of snowballed. Um, And I came out of the witch closet, out of the broom closet to my mom when I was 17 weeping like it was harder for me to come out as a pagan to my mom than it was to tell her I was bi Mm -hmm. like that was just nonchalant like hey by the way I have a girlfriend that was easy um but telling her I was pagan was terrifying Mm -hmm. because my father's a holocaust survivor Mm -hmm. and you know he lost two sets of parents between world war ii and the coming of communism to romania Um, my mother, her family founded the state of Israel. So being Jewish, like culturally and like genetically Jewish was a huge deal in my reality. Mm -hmm. So telling her like, screw your star of David, I'm wearing a pentacle. Like I was terrified that I would just destroy her. And amazingly enough, she just kind of embraced it and went, well, that's very nice, honey. I don't understand it. But okay. And from a Jewish mom to say something nice and accepting and not be a dick about it. Like, I was totally expecting, like, the standard Jewish guilt of, like, oh, you just ruined my life. Oh my God. How am I going to tell your father? Like, Mm. none of that. Like, she was just very embracing. And, um, and I was also dealing with a lot of like depression and anxiety and suicide and, and stuff like that. So I think she was really pleased that. I found the goddess and I was able to channel all of that energy that we have as teenagers Mm -hmm. into something. I'm not going to say healthy. I'm just going to say it like I channeled it into something that gave me a focus and made me present and made me grateful for something, Mm -hmm. you know, like that moment. I mean, us millennials understand what it was like when there was no Wicca shelf on Barnes and Noble. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And like walking into the bookstore and seeing a book mm-hmm. but even if it, god help me it was like even if it was silver raven wolf like we were really excited because <laughs> it was something right you know so i remember that being a teenager and finding joy in that and then it just sort of spiraled upwards and i went to sonoma state university in northern california and i ended up becoming the president of the pagan club it was the first pagan club of the university and it was people advocating goodness in nature And I was really proud to have created it out of some serious trauma that I'd gone through. And I channeled that into the Pagan Club. And it was one of the things I was proudest of. I still am because we had three born-again Christian members. We had a Buddhist. We had a Druid. We had a Hermetic magician. We had three Wiccans. We had my friend Corey, who you cannot qualify her on any level. (laughs) Um, She's just Corey. And we had numerous people from different faiths in the pagan club and we had them come and bring other people to lecture so we ended up having a buddhist monk named prachutiko come and lecture we had a tattoo witch named genie z uh come and lecture about tattoo magic we had um all kinds of people come and lecture because i wanted everyone to understand that just because i'm pagan it doesn't mean i don't study religion Mm -hmm. on the contrary i can probably recite verses from the scriptures better than most folks because of the amount of study I've done in English and Hebrew. So yeah, it's it's been very weird to contrast like being raised Jewish and then going to the goddess. But hey, I'm not normal. That's okay. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us would be considered normal. No. Normal's overrated. Yeah. Normal's a setting on a dryer. <laughs> True. So I have a couple of questions. Go for it. Do you it. have a set of deities or a deity that you work with? So I do now um, at 37. But again, I started at, at 14, 15. I'm going to say 15 is when I committed my year in the day. So 22 years. For the first 20 years, I had no deities. Mm-hmm. I worshipped the earth. And I just would call out to the goddess and call out to the God. And there was never a vision or a, a physical appearance to them. Um, nothing ever felt a hundred percent right for me. I kind of, you know, I did what everyone does. Like I started playing with the Celtic and then I started playing with the Greek. Cause that's what we all end up doing because mm. that's what the books are all about. And none of them felt like they really sunk in. Like it wasn't, there was not a synchronization for me. And not to say that, like, when I would do ritual with other organizations and they would call upon the horn god, mm-hmm. I'm all about it. I would envision the horn god and I would get really into it and I would be able to connect to that facet of divinity. But I didn't have my own deities on my altar. My altar was very elemental and very, um, very seasonal and very earth-based. And then, amazingly enough, <laughs> um, this year, 2018, I was blessed and grateful to receive an opportunity to join the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, which is a clergy and ordination program for Hebrew priestesses. And the main emphasis is effectively pre-Judean Judaism, like the, the Judaism of the tribal Hebrew people before they moved into the land of Israel, which archaeologically and anthropologically is very seasonal and earth-based and they worship the goddess and her name is Shekhinah. Um, I've heard a lot of variations which make me laugh milk out my nose like Shekinah, <laughs> Shekinah, um, Shekhini. I mean I've heard a lot of variations. I call her Shekhinah. Um, if you want to get like super strict about it, it's Shekhinah and her name translates to um, it comes from the root word um, shachan, which is to dwell. Mm-hmm. So shchinah is the female dwelling. So she is the divine presence of divinity that dwells within all souls. So there's sort of a dualistic, like there's there's source way out there that's way bigger than a human brain can possibly understand. And then there's that inner dwelling, like golden thread that comes down and connects to each of us. And that is shchinah. And so it is feminine and it is a mother figure. But in the Hebrew Priestess Institute, we actually have 13 pathways, Mm -hmm. which is my favorite number, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, because Judaism actually moves by a 13 moon calendar Mm -hmm. because we know what we're fucking doing. So, you know, (laughs) fuck your Gregorian calendar. Like we know about moon cycles. And so we have 13 pathways in the, the institute and in our training where each pathway is related to a different facet of the goddess. So we've got the mother, we've got the warrior, we've got the witch, we've got the shaman, we've got the mourner, mourning priestess who mourns, who weeps. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got 13 of them, and they all revolve around the, the central focus of worshipping Shrina. So I don't have a statue because part of Judaism forbids 
creating images of your deity, mm-hmm. but there's no rule against having crazy ass colors all over your altar and having <laughs> those colors change seasonally. And mm-hmm. she is all colors, so I can change them whenever the hell I want. So that is my deity. That's amazing. So you're a Jew witch. Yes, I love that word so much. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I actually discovered the path of that March of last year, 2017. Starhawk is part of an organization in Northern California in the Bay Area called Jewish Collective. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are. We are Jewish witches. There is a long history that is not talked about, but there is a long history of pagan Judaism mm-hmm. where they worshipped multiple gods in whatever region they got sent off to after they got booted out of the, the, the region they were in and they would pick up whatever deities were there as well as worshipping Adonai or Shekhinah or whoever, you know, whatever, there's 77 names of God. So I discovered them last spring when I went to the Jewish camp in Northern California and Starhawk, my freaking <laughs> Shiro, who I love so much, she actually came, spent Saturday with us, did an earth activist training taught us how to do nonviolent resistance, how to channel the goddess and the God while we do this resistance, while we rebel, while we protest the police and all of the prayers, which you would imagine, like just swap like Catholicism for Judaism. If you need a visual, Mm -hmm. um, like very like rigid and very masculine practice got completely like enveloped by this soft, squishy goddess loviness of like, Let's say our morning services in a circle and let's call the four directions in Hebrew and let's invoke the goddess in English and Hebrew. And it's like all of these prayers that I'm used to having heard as a kid. And now it's in the feminine towards a feminine deity. And it was Mm -hmm. mind blowing. So I started sort of diving down that rabbit hole and it led me to the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute. Wow. Yeah crazy i kind of I, I got chills during that just so you know did you yeah it just sounds so beautiful it really is I'll, I'll tell you in my experience having been there i went the last week of june to the first of july and it was life-changing i felt myself die the day i arrived um and i needed to and i and i find that to be a very important distinction is that we die a lot mm-hmm. and we need to die Mm-hmm. We cannot hold on to who we were. We have to die to allow. And now we're in the season of death. And obviously that's like super relevant. Mm-hmm. But I died the on Monday, the day I arrived there. And um, I, I can tell you that it was the first time in my experience in my life that I was able to pray in my native language to a goddess who means so much to me she is literally the god of my people Mm -hmm. to be able to do that and to not sit in like rows and have an altar at the front of the you know and Mm -hmm. like all of this like very masculine linear rigidity and we were all on the floor and we were sitting in a circle and we had an altar in the middle of the sanctuary with like a giant basin of water where we had all brought our waters from all over the world to put it into this into Miriam's well Mm -hmm. it was so shocking and so life-changing like I just got used to the fact that at any given point one of the 60 women there were in the ugly cry Mm -hmm. and like like the (laughs) ugly cry like Mm -hmm. awful like snotty like your face is just wet 
you know, and there's like a dark stain down your cleavage because that's how much you're weeping. And one of us would be weeping and one of us would be face down on the floor crying and praying. And like that was services. <laughs> it was amazing. Your uh, description of dying the first day. We hear mm. that so much with the reclaiming witches in our reclaiming group. Yes. When they go the first day, they're miserable the first time the they walk on to that and feel like the first day they're miserable. They want to go home. They want to go to bed. They're disgusted with it. And then they come back and they're like, I have this life work now that I have to work on. Yeah. And they're like, it's life changing. So to hear it coming from you, it's very much what we're hearing. And of course, as being reclaimers, Starhawks kind of. Are you talking about the, the witch camp that's up in NorCal? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> <We're the same. laughs> it is simply arranging time and money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. it's, it's shocking. And I also think there's something to be said for willingly putting yourself in a position where you are isolated mm-hmm. in nature. With no Wi-Fi, no Wi-Fi for you, no cell phone for you, like, knock that shit off and go be in the dirt. And there's something really courageous about willingly putting yourself in that position and going, I'm about to go into the into the deep, dark, you know, mystery. And I think I'm going to die and being brave enough to go die because Mm -hmm. then you're inviting rebirth and it's like I have a lady boner just from thinking about it. It's amazing. And how many stories of goddesses and gods that go and die? I mean, we're right at the moment right now where the mm-hmm. traditional looking year, we're seeing the god die and mm-hmm. go in and then yep. be reborn. Exactly. You know, it, it's kind of funny when you said that just something came to mind mm-hmm. about disconnecting yeah, from, from Wi-Fi. So it literally just said in, in my brain, disconnecting from the new gods and reconnecting with the old. Ooh. American gods. I know. Oy. Oh my God. Say that again. Say that D- again. Disconnecting from the new gods and reconnecting with the old. So to go a slightly bit nerdy here for just a moment, because <laughs> I'm an uber, uber nerd. Which is, per- which is perfectly that's, fine. That's how have I you roll. heard our nerd episode? <laughs> I have not at the moment. Oh, I'm sure I will. Everybody's I, told me it's the most hilarious thing I saw Because mm-hmm. nerds and pagans equal yes. circles in the Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. So just to get nerdy for a hot second, I played a tabletop uh, game Scion last year, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the not called White Wolf. What is it called now? The gaming system. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Whoever is out there listening will be like, I know what it is. Whatever. Go ahead and write an angry letter. But anyway, so the <laughs> game is called Scion. And it's a lot like Vampire the Masquerade or Werewolf the Apocalypse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Except you're playing baby gods. Mm-hmm. And one of the gods that is like thrown into like the 15 pantheons you can choose from is the Atlanteans. And their method of magic is electricity and the internet. So their god yeah. is the god of the internet. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, nerding out. Oh, Scion. <laughs> oh, but it's also true at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's very true. And it's important to sever that electronic connection so you can make physical connection mm-hmm. with her and with those pieces of her all around you in the form of human bodies and animal bodies. And we need connection. Yeah. Yes, so. I'm hearing a lot more people talking about disconnecting from social media and doing that. I agree. Yeah. So back on topic. <laughs> Slightly, <laughs> yes. Uh, what kind of magic do you practice since you are a Jewish? What kind of magic do I practice? Or practice most often? Points to you for saying often, not often. My six-year-old hates that. Like, that's his thing. <laughs> often, not often. Um, so what kind of magic do I practice? There's a few. I don't know if I could, like, quantify it with a flavor or, or mm-hmm. a title. I would say I manifest like a mofo. 
Mm-hmm. I know it sounds sappy and dorky, and and you can disagree if you like. I absolutely utilize the law of attraction at any given day. Okay. Um, which is AKA the secret. I love um, utilizing the law of attraction and I basically just identify it as manifesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the, the idea of the practice of the universe is always listening. So whatever we think, whatever we say, whatever we believe we're ordering from the universal eBay at any given moment. So um, when I manifest, I talk about how I'm going to be on time when I leave the house today. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be on time. Because if we say, I'm going to be late, I'm going to be late, I'm going to be late, guess what? You end up late. late. So, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I manifest a lot of what I I try to gain in my life. And there's a huge laundry list of things I've manifested in the last four years. I also practice a lot of kitchen magic. I Mm -hmm. love to put magic in my food. As a Jew witch, as a Kohenet Metoreret, which means uh, merging Kohenet, I tend to make bread, Mm -hmm. uh, usually Wednesdays or Thursdays, for Friday night dinner, Mm -hmm. because Friday night is considered the beginning of the Sabbath. So I will usually make bread Wednesday or Thursday. What kind of bread, Nama? Well, it depends. So there's the traditional like Eastern European egg bread known as challah, which you've probably seen before. It's braided. It's all pretty and brown Mm -hmm. and shiny and gorgeous. Um, I do make that occasionally. I stopped making it because it's more labor intensive. So I make um, something called dabo, which is an Ethiopian Jewish bread. And it is diametrically opposed to challah. And it doesn't have like sugar and it doesn't have egg and it doesn't have like pretty much anything. And I make it out of whole wheat because I committed to the goddess that I would be changing my body and my life. So I committed to no white flour so i do whole wheat flour in my bread and i want to highlight judaism that is not eastern european white european jewish Mm -hmm. at all i want to highlight judaism that is everything but that Mm -hmm. so i make ethiopian jewish bread and the bread is significant because it is symbolic of the earth aka cakes and ale i take it and as i add ingredients i actually watched other jewish women on youtube show me how to do this which is amazing they don't realize they're doing magic I don't care. I do it anyway. But, um, you know, they'll take their yeast and they'll mix it with a teaspoon of sugar and some water and they will pray to God, a.k.a. Shekhinah, for sweetness in their lives and that their hearts will rise like the yeast will rise. And they whisper prayers and blessings as the yeast is rising to infuse it with their magic. And then they'll let it sit there and they'll start sifting their flour and their other other whatever they're using. And they will sift their ingredients together and they will pray for different parts of their life to merge well together and for them to tolerate change and to tolerate, you know, combining different facets of their lives. And then they'll combine their wet and their dry and they'll say blessings and prayers over, you know, let's let's bring, you know, the power of hope and uplifting as well as bringing in the grounding and the centering of this flower and they don't realize they are concocting spells Mm -hmm. and I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I do that. So I do a lot of kitchen magic. I whisper a lot of blessings and prayers in my food. And I do the one thing that I learned at the Kohenet uh, Institute that supersedes everything else for me is I sing. And I didn't realize that Judaism is actually an earth-based seasonal women led goddess oriented faith. And the Kohenet Institute really helped me to understand that because 
I can pray and, and literally witness Shechina present herself to me as a column of fire with wings, which is weird, but whatever, I'm not judging. And like, <laughs> I'll do that as I'm singing and I'm singing these incredibly deep moving songs that are all just like drum and song. And that's prayer and that's magic. And I, I don't think some people would call it magic, but I definitely do. I'm, I'm big on the whole, the, the magic of music. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. I'm, I, I've, I've felt it even, even back when I was just young, you know, it, it, it's just something that's, it's always, it's so calming Oh yeah. and it can really center somebody who's had an emotionally unstable day, at least in my opinion. You are correct. You know? And it's just, it, it, it made me actually want to go into music study and psychology study mm-hmm. and actually you know how how music can shape one's life mm-hmm. and then now with the magical aspect of it how it can help somebody grow oh yeah it's interesting because there's a couple of so, so backstep one of my illustrious teachers taya share mm-hmm. is from the bay area mm-hmm. has trained under starhawk and done reclaiming stuff and i know it because some of our prayers are reclaiming tunes mm-hmm. and love that so much so like um we've got let me see here we've got we all come from the goddess Mm -hmm. which is kind of a tried and true tune that we all know Mm -hmm. but as kohanot we sing it we all come from shekhinah and it's same tune same words Mm -hmm. because it's all the same thing Mm -hmm. um you know we've got earth my body water my blood Mm -hmm. we do that in english and hebrew and then add another layer to it in Kabbalah, there is a belief that there are four worlds that separate here from source. And they are Asiya, Yetzira, Bria, and Atzilut, which is earth, air, water, and fire. And they are physical, mental, intellectual, emotional, and spirit. And that's what we pull into that song, Earth My Body. So when we do that, we are like singing praise of of the goddess and and magic and it's so delicious i love it (laughs) so do you think that you could pull the magic aspect of your life from your religion or (laughs) you need them both you're so funny (laughs) no um i think it's a beautiful question, and I love your question because I bet money that there's somebody listening who's thinking that, mm-hmm. and they're probably living in a position where they are forced to have the dichotomy of their normal, air quotes, life, and then their goddess worship life. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't wear their pentacle in public, or they can't discuss their spirituality at work, whatever it is. So there is definitely that dichotomy that the patriarchy is still giving us, that we have to separate our spirit from our normal, air quotes, life. It is impossible for me. Mm-hmm. It is breathing for me. And uh, I won't lie. There's times where I am more spiritual than not. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I'm feeling like super like connected and super magical and like everything I touch like sparkles in my head, at least like not in the real life, but whatever. And then there's times I'm like, just like what my friend Kat calls like swamp queen. I'm just like, give me Cheetos and a movie and a soda and leave me alone, you know, but that's magic too. Mm -hmm. That's just really heavy, dark, earthy magic too. So I can't, I could not separate them if I wanted to. Not at all, especially with like, I have a gratitude. That's the last thing that I do is in terms of magic is I have a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of prayer, 
um, and connecting to Shekhinah, I pray at least five times a day when I wake, when I go to sleep, and then before each meal, because I have to keep that momentum of positive energy flowing from the universe to me. And, and I'm responsible for that. If I don't do it, ain't that shit going to come to me. So I got to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So well, I think this is a good point to take a break. Yeah. So we will be right back. All right, we are back on Millennial Pagan Podcast. Of course, we got a Ms. Nama here with us. Yo. Um, so I know that uh, we, we were talking about the the whole uh, Jew witch. Um, I love that word. I, I, I love it too. I just love, love how, <laughs> how that noun, rolls it's off. It's a verb. It's everything. <laughs> um, so how does it kind of uh, coincide with more like the, the history of Judaism? Like that kinda... is a fabulous question. I love that question. I do not have the time to answer it fully. Um, <laughs> well, let me give you the very, the cliff very, notes. very, 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 very short versions, Cliff's versions. The, um, the Matt, if you will, mm-hmm. version. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, so I will preface this by saying I have a bachelor's degree in medieval and renaissance history. Mm-hmm. So I, I study history for fun. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I tell you what I'm telling you, it's not because I made that shit up in my head. There is supporting evidence etc etc y'all are grown-ups you can use the internet i'm not going to google it for you but what i will say is judaism began in the fertile crescent which is what we call the middle east or the near east um middle east is dumb because it's not in the middle of anything it's its own region anyway so it's the near east it is near the three uh rivers area in that region of iraq iran uh syria lebanon Israel, Saudi Arabia, uh, I want to say Pakistan, Uzbekistan, that whole region was called the Fertile Crescent. And the people who live there practice an earth-based seasonal faith. And Judaism, as we know it today, is hugely evolved and mutated Mm -hmm. from what the Torah talks about, Mm -hmm. from what the scripture, you know, every time I say the Bible, I'm talking about the Torah, like the, the new edition, like Return of the Jedi. Like, I don't consider that to be like scripture for me, but whatever. Like, no judgment. Yeah, um, Christians you, feel <clears throat> differently, but that's why they're Christians. And that's why they're Christians. You're not yeah. the first one who I've actually heard people re- refer to the New Testament as Return of the, Return the Jedi. Of the Jedi. That's fits. how it feels, honestly. Like, yeah. plucky little hero. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we digress. We digress. The Fertile Crescent area from. I would say Egypt all the way to Western India was just littered with tribal people. Mm-hmm. And the closest equivalent I have for American listeners would be First Nations indigenous folks of this continent of North America. Mm-hmm. There were tribal people. They migrated. They were all migratory. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them were, were stationary. They didn't have like a single home base until the agrarian age developed. And the people who identify themselves as Jews today can originate their lineage back to the people that called themselves Hebrews then. So for a reference, there is a very commonly known story of, you know, let my people go, you know, like the the Hebrews escaping Egypt and Charlton Heston stands on a mountain and his hair turns white and all that. (laughs) Uh, We call that we call that the Exodus story Mm -hmm. that 
region, those people, they were a tribal people whose faith was centered solely on what was going on in the earth at that time. Mm -hmm. Just like the Celts, just like the Asatru, the people of, of the north, they were all centered around seasonal changes, seasonal rises and falls. And obviously, like being in the Fertile Crescent, you've got a very different seasonal system than mm -hmm. you would in Northern Europe, mm -hmm. than you would in South America, than you would in Sub-Saharan Africa. The seasonal changes are very different. Specifically, their gods were gods of harvest, gods of fire, mm -hmm. gods of light and dark, aka like the light of day, the dark of night. Not necessarily like the dark of your soul, which mm -hmm. is a lot more like modern and mm -hmm. silly and, you know, Freudian. But their gods were very tactile, very visceral. And there were many different focuses and many different tribal perspectives based on where you were. One of the underlying common threads overall, all the way from like Egypt to Western India, is this notion that either there are many gods, which I'm totally down with, or... There is a masculine god, a deity, and there is his wife, who is an individual in and of herself. She is not lashed to him or what is the word, cleaved to him. Like she is not his possession in any way. She is his equal. She is his wife. He is her husband. And that I find to be beautiful because although the names change, for example, in Egypt, she is known as... Well, he, he would be Osiris, he would be Ra, he would be Ta, but she would be known as Isis. As you move eastward, you've got Ishtar, which a lot of people associate <laughs> with Easter, the actual like holiday of Easter. It's not, but that's cool. Ishtar was also known as Astarte, also known as Asherah, uh, A-S-H-E-R-A, Asherah. Uh, forgive me, I roll my R's. I speak four languages, it happens. <laughs> um, so you've got like Isis, Ishtar, Astarte, Asherah. And also the Aramaic, half Hebrew, half Arabic language calling her Shekhinah. That is the origins of Judaism. There was Baal, which is the male, the husband, the father figure. And then there was Asherah. And there are numerous uh, anthropological digs all over the Fertile Crescent that show altars to her. Beautiful, interesting um, rectangular altars that are like the height of a table mm -hmm. that were built with holes in the front of them intentionally so that incense could be placed and smoke would come out. Oh, um, wow. They had to have four corners at the top and each of the corner was like carved of clay and like bent forward slightly like the petals of a flower. Um to mimic a flower and to signify the four directions and the four elements. And these were all altars to Asherah, like screw Baal, we don't care. Like it was all to her. Mm -hmm. There are passages in the book of Hosea, which is, oh, I don't know, don't quote me. It's a book somewhere in the Torah, whatever. But he's one of the, it, it's the book of the prophets. And Hosea is one of the prophets, which pisses me off because there are lots of female prophets, but that's another podcast. So Hosea <laughs> was talking about how, the women and the and the men that they would drag in, air quotes, would be the men would be dragged in by these women who would, quote unquote, fornicate on the hills and on the mountaintops before the altars to Asherah. Oh, yes. Men were dragged to fornicate. Oh, dragged. Uh -huh. Kicking and screaming, poor baby, poor baby. Uh -huh. So they were taken, taken, air quotes, 
to these altar places. Well, the reality is, and our anthropologists and archaeologists are now acknowledging (laughs) that white male ethnocentric privilege is a thing in archaeology. And all of these beautiful artifacts that have been found are actually goddess worship items. They are figurines of goddesses. They are figurines of Miriam with her drum. And they were items for worship. These altars that were on the mountaintops, these are, this is text that's written in Torah. These were commonplace. And his critique of that is they were fornicating, which AKA wasn't actually sex. It was a, it was a very delicate reference to worship of idols. Mm -hmm. That's what fornicate means in Torah in many contexts. It doesn't mean sex. Mm -hmm. It means worshiping another God. And they would criticize these women and these worship rituals and these, these quote unquote orgies on the mountaintops and on the hills and under the, under the Betzeletzim, under the shade of trees, because they were worshiping Asherah, they were fornicating and worshiping another deity instead of the one God. And then at the end of that line, at the end of that portion, he talks about how he's going to leave them alone because all, all wanderers must find their way on their own, Mm -hmm. which is effectively, it's a social critique Mm-hmm. Of this is the world we're in right now. We live in this world where there's altars everywhere and there's worship of this goddess everywhere. And eh, just let them go. They'll, they'll find their way back to Hashem eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that really is a, a foundational point of what the flavor of Judaism was in the Fertile Crescent thousands of years ago. And then you have this transition of the Hebrews being let go of Egypt in the Exodus story. And I'm the first to tell you, I don't think it was a literal exodus. Mm-hmm. I don't take the Torah as a literal anything. Um, it's a fabulous book of stories. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of ethical behavior and it's got some very practical health regulations in it. Mm. But that's it. So that story in my mind, in my opinion, from what the goddess tells me when I conduit her is that it's all allegorical. And it is... A bunch of people probably were living in Egypt and they were probably downtrodden and they were probably at the bottom of the barrel, but they weren't like this giant, like, you know, Michael O. Zelznick, like 1938 giant screenplay release of people. Like it was, it was probably something very small that got blown out of proportion because every culture wants its hero myths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when that happened in that sphere of time, you have the Hebrew people specifically led by women. Mm -hmm. Women were the midwives. They were the ones that would get hired or paid to mourn and weep and wail at funerals. So that's birth and that's death, the two big ones. They were the ones conducting what's called circle dances, which are still done today, especially in Orthodox communities, is the men would circle in one circle and the women would circle in another and they would dance in a circle um, as almost like a whirling dervish sensation, almost like to invoke ecstasy and connect to the goddess Mm -hmm. these circle dances are still done on shabbat every friday night and people will pray to the goddess or to whatever you want to call that source in those ways and that was a foundational experience taught by women and it's not in torah as much as it is in contemporary archaeology and anthropology that talks about it and most of the time it's damn those women and what they're doing we don't like that you know, hey, they were doing that. Let's do that thing. And mm-hmm. that's what we do at Coheded. It's like a running gag. Like every criticism of women doing stuff in Torah or in ancient Greek writings or ancient Roman writings or ancient Babylonian writings, not so much Sumerian, but, you know, in those writings, mm-hmm. 
these awful women, they're doing this and they're doing that. And we are, we're like, oh, we're Kohanot. Let's do that. Whatever it is that we're not supposed to be doing, let's do that. You don't want us wailing at your funeral? Screw you. We're going to wail louder. Um, you don't want us being sexual creatures? We're going to be more sexual. You know, because that is the flavor of the Judaism that's actually written in Torah. And I find it challenging because people who play with scripture, who read it occasionally, and they're not Torah scholars, they miss out on a lot of that nuance of like, here's all the reasons that, that we screwed up really bad and God is mad at us. We worshiped idols and we, you know, prayed at the well and we, you know, said prayers to the wind and prayers to the fire. And like, there's so much elemental magic in Torah. And that's my flavor of Judaism. I love it. And it's, it's fabulous because it was written in pieces. Anyone who's a, who's a general scholar will agree that Torah was not written by one guy mm-hmm. with, you know, writing his finger on a tablet. It doesn't work like that. Stone tablet, not electronic tablet. But, you know, <laughs> that Torah. Would, that would just be so painful. That would be so hard. Like the Vikings did it with lines and not circles. So, you know, it was written in pieces by multiple men, men, who were recording these oral histories. And they were doing it in a way that made them look strong, in the way that made the people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people look strong and look like a developing group of people. And by doing, in order to do that, they had to eliminate the goddess. Mm -hmm. And half of my week at the Institute was being full of rage at like this awareness of the god of my people is is a feminine goddess. And she was taken from me. Mm -hmm. She was taken from us. Generations of women behind me had the right to worship her in the feminine. And it was taken from us by men in power. It was like the audacity. Like in Hebrew, we see like the chutzpah. Like, how dare you take her from us? But the Judaism of, you know, the history of that Judaism is super seasonal. And we even have a wheel of the year. Just like the the quote unquote Celtic reclaiming wheel of the year. You know, the Mm -hmm. the Janet Stewart Farrar style. Like we have actually tonight after I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to Erev Rosh Hashanah, which is the evening of the Jewish New Year. Mm-hmm. And we celebrate with apples and honey because it's the harvest of the fruit, which in pagan culture is second harvest because Lunas is over. Mm-hmm. Samhain hasn't come yet. So we're entering into the Mabon season, Mabon, Mabon. And so in Jewish culture, it's the New Year and we celebrate with lots of fruit dishes mm-hmm. and lots of honey dishes, honey cake, honey pie, honey this, honey that, honey do. Um, you know, <laughs> so it's very seasonal and it comes down a lot of the times to our food. And that has not left us. That has not escaped like goddess culture because women are the ones who be holding on to them recipes, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of the history is being revisited because women are tired mm-hmm. of having men tell them what kind of Jew to be. And I Jew the way I want to Jew. And it is very feminine and very goddess oriented. And it's founded in archaeology. Mm-hmm. And that makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah, just just Jew it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to I had to do that. She was bastard. <laughs> I was trying to drink my water. This is an expensive microphone. I'm assuming, but I can spit on it if you want me to. That's a whole different kind of show. Anyway, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> that that just kind of popped into my head. I'm like, oh wow, okay. Yeah. Our, our beloved Patreon supporters purchased these. Love it. Microphones. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you're talking a lot about Kohenet and it being a training. (laughs) And um, so my question is, is this how Jewish culture is reclaiming the goddesses? And how, how are you seeing outside of that training? And just... All that umbrella mm. of huge, I don't know how to phrase this into a question, but you're doing this training that sounds awesome. Are you seeing this kind of stuff happening outside of it? And what is this training? And so I, I love your arm gestures. Like for y'all <laughs> listening, like she's flailing her arms around creating this energetic umbrella and I love it. She's to- um, totally doing the YMCA in front totally of She's totally doing the YMCA. I can't wait until we can do panels and stuff and people just start <laughs> laughing and I have to go, did I shave today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I show you today? Does it matter? Does it matter? Mm. No. Deodorant? Yes, that matters. Uh, the answer to your question is very long. <laughs> yes. So I don't know a short way to answer. Where this do you is... want to go with it? Crazy. Um, so there's a there's a lot of training involved. Obviously, there are seven retreats in the institute program over the course of three years. There's two trainings a year. Mm-hmm. The last year we have two trainings and then your celebratory uh, ordination, which is called smicha, where all the other women who have come before you come to the event and they bless you, which is fucking badass. Like they're all in a giant circle giving their energy to you as you are blessed and ordained, which is so cool. What an initiation. Dude, it is, it is mind-blowing. Speaking of initiation, I'll give you an example. We have a very traditional Jewish practice called mikvah, mm-hmm. which is ritual bathing. Not a uniquely Jewish thing. Mm -hmm. Every culture has ritual bathing. The Indians have the Ganges River and Native Americans have sacred rivers. And like we we do this as humans, like Mm -hmm. we bathe in waters. But in Judaism, we've got the mikvah. We like to be clean. We do. We like to be clean. And even as ancient people, as tribal migratory people, we knew, you know, she's not going to want to sleep with you if you stink. Like... We knew this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and we knew that that cleansing in a river made you feel spiritually better, mm-hmm. energetically clean. So in Judaism, we have mikvah. And when I was there in June, first of all, I'm in the middle of the sticks. Like it was literally out of the, the opening scene of Beetlejuice. You know that those rolling hills yes. and like you have like the like the violins in the background, like, you know, like I'm looking around like it looks like. A postcard and it's all green and hills and cows and white picket fences. I'm like expecting like a giant spider to crawl over a house. Oh, goodness. You know, like it looks like that. And I get there and it's in the middle of the sticks. There's no Wi-Fi. It's this big, beautiful retreat center called the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center. And it has been around for over 100 years. It was founded to create a place for Jewish women of New York City to have a place to go away from their children. And it's still been around, which is amazing. (laughs) And it's set on this lake called Lake Miriam. Mm -hmm. So I spend the week there and that was life changing. And I'll write a book about it one day. But the thing that was most impacting for me as part of this training is we get stuck in our patterns as humans. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think in the present moment, like, oh, this is how it's going to be forever. You know, I'm broke. I'm going to be broke forever. I'm rich. I'm going to be rich forever. I'm in this intensive training out in the middle of the woods and it's really hard and energetically draining and I'm very involved and, uh, you know, and we get into that present moment of no, 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 it'll change. Give it time. So Friday comes, we have our prayer, we have our training, we have our lesson, we have our training with uh, Taya Sher and uh, Rabbi Jill Hammer and her wife Shoshana who is our, our song leader. 
Rabbi Hammer was trained as a rabbi, and mm-hmm. she is a rabbi. She's called Rav Kohenet because she's like the tippy tippy top, mm-hmm. and so is Taya, and so is Shoshana, her wife, uh, Jill's wife. And so Jill says to us, don't forget, we're having mikvah this afternoon. And all I could think of was I get to go jump in a lake naked. Lake naked. I love that. Nope, we're not coming <laughs> I'm sorry. That was great. A, a naked lake. Yeah, that. So <laughs> it was a very intense day. And if you've ever done ceremony, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. You get to that point where you are an empty husk of a person. Mm. You're energetically done. You are quarterback is toast. You got nothing. You had your cakes and ale. You've got enough energy to run, walk to your bed and lay down. And that was how the whole week was. It was, it was six days straight of intensive ritual every day. And I'm assuming the people who do witch camp would know what that's like. Yeah. So on, on day six, I'm wiped the fuck out and I'm so excited for mikvah because I had done mikvah years prior during my divorce, trying to claim conservative Judaism, ironically, where you cover your hair and do mikvah. Here I am full circle with a head cover on, but whatever (laughs) potato, tomato. So anyway, um, so we all, all 60 of us go down to the lake. They had just gotten a new dock brought in Mm -hmm. and we bless the dock. And all of us are there and my rabbi's there and her wife is there and Taya's there and we're all about to jump in the water and do mikvah. And I'm like, is everyone in a bathing suit? Are we all in bikinis? What are we doing? And all of a sudden I just see boobs everywhere. Yay! Yay, boobs! And I just see boobs and boobs and boobs and and I'm like, oh, we're naked. We can be naked. Yay, naked. And I just start (laughs) flinging my clothes off. And all of a sudden I'm standing there with like 30, 40 other women and we're all naked and we're standing in the sun. And I can say this out loud because, you know, like, this isn't really a secret. This is how mikvah works. And we all jump in the water at the same time. And, like, I'm trying to be all dramatic and shit. And I, like, do this, like, like elegant, like, falling backwards into the water, you know, thinking I'm all, like, a painting or something. And I <laughs> slap my back on the water. Oh. And it hurts so bad. I'm like, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm awake now. I am awake. I am super awake now because that really fucking hurt. And, you know, we're all like bobbing in the water. And my rabbi is in the water and she says the bracha. She says the blessing for cleansing of mikvah in the water with all of us. And we all dunk our heads and we're done. And I've never conceived that it could be possible to have a mikvah like that because I got stuck in the framework of this patriarchy and how things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. The training is designed for you to simultaneously shed the skin of what you have inherited that you didn't choose and simultaneously find the pieces of you that were missing. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I said, I died on Monday when I arrived and when I hit that water very painfully, I was reborn and I was reborn into the Shabbos, into the day of rest where we literally invoke Shekhinah. It's basically like drawing down the moon in Hebrew, which is cool with drums. <laughs> and we're like invoking her into the neighborhood, into the lodge, into the worship, into us that she will wrap her golden thread around us and bring us peace for 25 hours of Shabbat. Obviously, I did not do that part of it naked. I had clothes on at that point. But generally speaking, like the training is designed to strip you of what you what no longer serves you and also to highlight what you deserve to reclaim 
And that's a beautiful phrase because I was practicing reclaiming with Starhawk years ago. So there are other women in my cohort. We have, we are the seventh cohort. The Institute is in its 13th year. Oh, <laughs> yes. special. Yes. Um, it's having, it's bat mitzvah. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> there are women in my cohort, uh, specifically who are bringing this Jewish goddess worship mm-hmm. to the masses, doing it incredibly courageously because I'll tell you two stories. One of the women, Harriet, who I adore to pieces, she came back from the Kohenet experience very shook up. A lot mm-hmm. of us were, mm-hmm. as you could expect coming back from witch camp. She is a woman of color. She is Jewish. She is a convert. And she is also queer. Mm-hmm. So like tick all the boxes on every possible disenfranchisement that you could get. And she's right. embodying that and rocking the socks out of it. She decides she has to create a worship experience and bring what she just experienced to other people. Mm-hmm. Within three weeks of visualizing this and reaching out to the other women in our Facebook group and, and our cohort group, she created a Shabbaton, which is a, a Shabbat service called She is the Tree of Life. And it is a Kohenet-led, goddess-oriented Shabbat service, complete with the drums and the tambourines and the chanting and the singing and the sitting on the floor and the center altar. And it is specifically geared towards Reform Judaism, Conservative Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, for them to see that there is another world out there. Mm-hmm. So... The training is intensive and there are many ways that we're getting out into the community and reaching people. So I hope that answers your question. If it didn't, it it definitely answered many other questions that I think are Mm -hmm. important. So, and, and that's that's something that, I mean, we might have to have you back and dive a little bit deeper oh into darn. it as well. Who so. knows? If people ask us enough questions, oh, yeah. we might have to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> so I had other questions written down, but you answered pretty much all of them in that. And so I have new questions. Oh, go for it. You mentioned your... Uh, you're covering your hair yes. and I've seen you yes. for the past few times I've seen you you've had your hair covered that's right I know that's a traditional Jewish feminine thing it is how are you adding that to your practice or why so, or uh, how and why so yeah. um I am not traditional like on any level I have tattoos that is against Torah I have pierced ears that is against Torah I married a man who was not officially a Jew. Although we found out later his mother's mother was Jewish and escaped the Nazis. Go figure. So that counts. So that mm-hmm. counts. So technically I married a Jewish guy. He wasn't a good Jewish boy, but he was Jewish. You know, I'm I'm not traditional on any level. You have very visible shoulders right now. I really do. Like, here yeah. they are. See? Shoulders. I have shoulders. <laughs> I have wrists. I have elbows. Like, I'm not traditional. And traditionally, air quotes... The Torah says a woman should cover her hair. It doesn't say how she should cover it. It doesn't say in what way or what style. But women being women, we like to look pretty. Yeah. And so we have 11 billion ways of, of doing the thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I tried covering my hair four years ago, almost five years ago, when I was desperately clinging to my marriage. And I thought maybe if I practice conservative Judaism and practice like the extreme stuff like Tacharata Mishpachat, uh, family purity laws and all of that. I thought maybe that would save my marriage. I was wrong. But 
I did end up coming back to covering my hair. And actually, I thought that this would come up. And I'm really, really grateful that it did. And I love this yeah. question. There are a lot of women who have seen me cover my hair since I came back from Kohana that have been asking me questions. Mm-hmm. And what I find unique about their questions and where they're coming from is, do I have permission to cover my hair? Hmm. What I find redonkulous about that is, who the fuck am I to tell you that you have permission to do something with your body? Mm-hmm. Like, of course you do. Is it a Jewish thing? Absolutely, it's a Jewish thing. It's a Muslim thing. It's a specific sect of Christianity thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing for women or people in general who are going through cancer mm-hmm. treatment. It's a thing for people. Like, human beings cover their hair for yeah. a bajillion reasons. So if you want to cover your hair, do it. Mm-hmm. Me personally... I came back to it because I've always liked covering my hair. I just did it privately at home, mostly because I didn't know what I was doing and it just didn't look super awesome and pretty. Now there's YouTube and now there are tutorials. (laughs) Um, So I discovered a lot of women who resonate with my vibe of Judaism and they Jew like I Jew a little. And obviously we have our own flavors and there's 7 billion of us on earth and there's 7 billion pieces of the goddess in her own flavor. So they, they Jew a little bit like me. And I started watching them, really enjoying their lectures, their opinions on Torah, their methods of how to behave like a decent human being. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them happened to be women who cover their hair. And I went, huh, I wonder what the connection is. I don't know if there is one, but damn it, I want to look pretty. So (laughs) I started doing that because I really wanted to like make my my headdress match my outfit because Mm -hmm. I like matching things right so because reasons so there's a little (laughs) bit of drag queen in me so I like looking beautiful and I think the epitome of it for me is she told me to do it like when Shina says do something I'm like yes ma'am like okay whatever you say ma'am please don't kick my ass ma'am she told me that I should do it she also said it in a tone of it will make you better Mm -hmm. trust me just just, just do without questioning. Just trust me. It'll make you a better person. And if you don't like it later on, go ahead and stop. Mm-hmm. She was right. I feel better when I cover my hair. And mostly because I match my outfits because that's fun. <laughs> Secondly, I have really long, thick, curly hair. Mm-hmm. And it's a freaking beast. And I hate dealing with it. So most of the time. I, I hear you on that You one. know, right, know. Jared? Like, it's ridiculous. You got to wet it. And then the conditioning and the combing. And then mm-hmm. it's a pain in the it is. So I <laughs> don't get me wrong. I just found the most bomb like hair gel ever for people with curly hair. And it's made locally. But I don't want to have to deal with my damn hair. I would rather not deal with it. Mm-hmm. And lastly, it's very empowering for me to look like a fucking queen. Mm-hmm. I like do. feeling like a queen. I like mm-hmm. feeling royal because... We are all nobility because we are all direct pieces of source and we are all magical as fuck Mm -hmm. and we are all sacred and we are all kings and queens and we need a gender neutral term for that. God damn it, because that's making me angry. But whatever. We are all royalty. Mm -hmm. We're all royalty. And I like the sensation of decorating the hell out of my head covering Mm -hmm. with jewelry and sparkly bits and, you know, sparklies (laughs) because it makes me remember who I am especially in terms of the way that the world perceives me, because whether they mean to or not, people will look at me and assume whatever. They'll Mm -hmm. see me, they'll think anything. 
I want them to know how I see myself and I want to carry myself in such a way that you can't mistake it. Mm-hmm. Like that bitch is for real. Like you don't, you know, you don't mess with her. She knows who she is. I've also incidentally discovered that me covering my hair, even with my shoulders out right now mm-hmm. with my, my boobage all over the place right now, I will still walk into a convenience store with my hair covered. Men will give me my three feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will smile. They will make eye contact with my eyes and not my boobs. Mm-hmm. And they will give me my three feet and they will show a level of decorum that they weren't showing me before I covered my hair. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a subconscious. What do you think, Jared? Honestly, yeah. It's a very subconscious thing because it's the, the, the best way I can put it is there's a uh, there's a stigma to it. And when there's a, a religious stigma, a historical stigma to it. It's something that is, I believe, ingrained in our DNA. And it's something that, you know, maybe a lot of guys should listen to a little bit more. (laughs) Um, But it it is it is a at least for for most men that I know, it's a show of respect Mm -hmm. to not just the individual, but to what they believe, Mm -hmm. to their historical presence and to humanity. I agree with you. I almost see it like you have that as a choice here where we are in this country. You have a choice to do that and you chose to do it. And it it shows a form of power. I I sense the a very similar at a very lesser note with my hair. The redder, the brighter, the darker red shade that it is, the closer to Deborah Messing as opposed to Amy Adams it is. I get men that are more afraid of me. I get men who listen to what I say yes. as opposed to call me cute or mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's still red. My hair is always and has always be red. But the darker, the brighter, the stronger, the red, the more fierce, I guess, I look. Mm-hmm. Because that's the way that men treat me. Mm. They give me more of that inch in the space. They look, oh, less hidden. Yeah. I guess we're less hidden yeah. when oh. we make those kind of visual choices yeah. with ourselves. Also, redheads be crazy. This is also true. true. And they have yeah. no souls. But I have okay. a soul. It's blue. You parked yours right next that's to it. That's true. I have a soul. <laughs> it's green. Um, I agree with both of you 100%. I think it's absolutely subconscious first. Mm-hmm. I don't think men even know that they're doing it. Yeah. No, I don't um, think anybody knows that they no. do it. Well, Women do it too. That's the nature of subconscious. We totally do. But it's absolutely the fact that we live in this amazing country where I have the right to do this. And I have the right to do it however the hell I want. Mm. And in such a way that I am actively waking up and choosing to do This doesn't do itself. Right. This yeah. takes time. Like, yeah. not as long as, like, conditioning, drying, diffusing, scrunching, diffusing again, scrunching again, and finishing my hair. But it takes some time. It's a lot. Curly hair is a bitch. I, I no, used to straighten my hair every day. Do you, th- this, was, this was wet when I got here. You lucky. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it used to oh, not I- do this. It's magical now. That's why braid and I just leave it. Braiding your hair as a curly-haired person is, like, super the thing to it do. Is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's... It's also healthier and it helps your roots out and everything else. But I take, I, Bradley's measured me because I say that I'm going to take five minutes and I don't. But, you know, like it's 15 minutes and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. But I've taken 15 minutes of my day to put intent behind what I'm putting on my head. Mm-hmm. And I am literally crafting a crown to mm-hmm. put on my head. Mm-hmm. And I could walk out the house and not do that. 
but since I've chosen to do that, I carry that with me where I go. And I love the fact that men give me my three feet and they give me a level of respect they may not have if I wasn't wearing it. But women are the opposite. Mm -hmm. Not that they're disrespectful. Sorry. Not opposite. Whatever. New word. English. But like they will, they will often come towards me. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, you're so pretty. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. How did you do that? Is it, are you, are you Muslim? Are you, what is your religion? <laughs> and I'm like, girl, you don't got the time to know. I'm going to touch you and ask you personal questions. No, you, you. no, people don't touch me. That's good. They really don't. Even when I was pregnant, nobody fucking touched me because I, I came across with that Israeli, mm-hmm. I will cut you. Mm-hmm. sensation but they do come at me they come and ask questions and they're curious and i love empowering them and telling them yeah i just do this because it's my faith and they leave it at that and mm-hmm. they don't pester me with more details i'm like no it's my faith period end of story but it's pretty mm-hmm. you know and that's why i do it and i absolutely 100 percent encourage anybody who wants to cover their hair to cover their damn hair don't ask permission you have no excuses you, that you need to give anybody. You don't need to justify shit. If you want to wear your, your pinnacle, wear your pinnacle. Mm-hmm. You want to cover your hair, cover your hair. You know, you want to have a tattoo of, of Thor's hammer, have a tattoo of Thor's hammer. Like, do what you want. Life is too short. Right. It's yeah. ridiculous. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. Well, I hate to say this next part, but our time's almost up. Oh. <laughs> well. Yeah. But that just means, you know, it, with, with with enough people, if they ask questions and whatnot, we'll just have to have you back. Sad Panda. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to. I would love to. I'm very excited. I love talking if you couldn't tell. Well, since we're almost at our end, that means it's time for you to tell us where we can find you. Because I know you have a lot of stuff going on that you want to share with the world. I do. I do. Okay. So I have a website, naamasagal.com. I dare you to spell it right. N-A-A-M-A-H-S-E-G-A-L.com. It will on that, be in the show notes. It will be. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. um, because I don't expect y'all to spell it. <laughs> so I've got my blog linked into my site. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get a lot of friends on Facebook that I accept requests from. They have to be friends of friends direct. And I will vet them and I will go to that person and go, do you know this person? So I don't do a whole lot of friending. But I have a Twitter it is my, my, I want to say it's like Naama.ashera. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I chose that, by the way, 10 years ago before I ever knew about like Shekhinah or anything, which is ironic. Oh, wow. So yeah, go figure. So I've got my Twitter and I've got that. I've got the Twitter for Nerd Whisper and I also have Twitter for Naama.ashera. I have Instagram. I'm on there as well. But uh, yeah, I'm a published author. You can find me on Amazon. I have my work published in an anthology. Uh, I wrote a short story called Karma about my ex-lover and I sent him to hell. It's awesome. (laughs) Let's see here. And um, I'm a conduit. So I also perform conduit services for anyone who needs it. I have been reading tarot for going on 21 years. And I conduit and channel people's higher selves, their spirit guides, their angels, their totems, their ancestors, as well as source herself and whatever the hell she has to say to people, I will channel for them. Uh, I also am a communications coach. So I coach people, especially nerds, how to love and cherish each other through loving communication with a nerdy flavor. So Mm. I am all of these things at the same time. 
We might just have to have you on just to talk about conduit. Absolutely. I would love to. Oh, and also I facilitate Red Tent. So it is a women's gathering every new moon, either at my home or it travels to another sister's home. And it is for all women. I repeat all women. I repeat all women. Trans women are women. I shouldn't even have to say that. But all women are women. If you identify as a woman or you are a womb owner or if you are a bleeding person, you're still Welcome to Red Tent, and I facilitate that. It is a transformational experience, generally free or nearly free. Those are also things I facilitate. I will be hosting a Red Tent at Phoenix Phoenix Pagan Pagan Pride Pride. Festival, Mm -hmm. 17th annual at Indian School Park on November 3rd as well. And very likely I will be reading Tarot at Talking Stick Casino for Halloween. This is going to be my third or fourth year doing it uh, for their annual Halloween costume contest. Oh. So I do tarot that way as I didn't well. No, they did that. They do. So Lots of things. Events coming up in our world. Uh, the new moon is September 9th, which is the day that we are recording this. Thank goodness I need some new changes. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly getting rid of this cold. Mm. Uh, Tucson area Wiccan and Pagan uh, Network is having their fall festival on September 22nd. It will be at the Universal Unitarian Church. Uh, Jara and I are planning on attending as of right now. As of right now. So hopefully we will be actually there um you'll probably see me in my gingery form wearing a uh pagan pride t-shirt to Yay. try and get people to ask questions about pride <laughs> pagan pride you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram and of course patreon and we're going to thank andrea and kayla for contributing to patreon jerry is patreon worth it i believe it's worth it i mean uh, if you just saw on our instagram page <gasps> Uh, we actually uh, do have those stickers and buttons that we're going to be sending out. And little thank you notes. Yeah, so if you haven't you given me your address, I'm talking to you, Cody. Uh, uh, actually, he just sent it. Oh, good. And yeah. um, there was one other person, Simon. Simon. Simon, one of our very first Patreon supporters. I need your address. I, I think it's there. Okay. I, I, just, I think I just saw it being sent just okay. before we started recording also kayla my our newest mm-hmm. you also need to give me your address <laughs> that's uh, uh, so as a hint if you mm-hmm. add yourself on patreon at the five dollars a month fee you do have to give me your address if you want a sticker and button yes and thank you note and of course with the five dollars a month you also get a patreon exclusive mini-sode where we talk for about 30 minutes about different things that uh we probably didn't want to fit into a regular show but that we feel that still needs to go out to the community and it's just a little something fun for you guys our september mini-sode is actually going to be a listener request which is going to be some book suggestions so newbie book suggestions and best book reading suggestions i actually suggest if you haven't read jailbreaking the goddess what you will like it do tell i will all right (laughs) on the next episode i bet jara yes where can they find you? Of course, always on Twitter, Jarrah Stone, J-E-R-A-S-T-O-N-E. And just because I'm trying to manifest uh, a little bit more of a uh, opening uh, for my cosplay life, my cosplay stuff is uh, Haggard underscore Hagrid underscore cosplay, uh, Haggard with one G. Um, I actually just reached 300 followers. Thank you to everybody. Uh, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to manifest a little bit more for that because <laughs> I'm starting to, I, I, I kind of find it ironic that I said about, you know, uh, disconnecting with the new gods. Um, I'm kind of seeing cosplay as a God. Yeah. So it's, yeah, blood, sweat, tears. 
uh, when creating and wearing these outfits. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of kind of a new thing for me that I'm kind of just working, Im- with. working with and just embracing just because I see how positive of an impact it's having, not just for me personally, but for people that I interact with that are also involved in cosplay. Yay. It's interesting because when you say that, I immediately think of the, the muses, the Greek muses, mm-hmm. and how they would inspire artists to like madness yeah. in their creation. Like Shakespeare used to pray and invoke the muses when he would conduct his plays. Like that's, you want to talk about worshiping something, like mm-hmm. worshiping your muse. Holy moly. Holy yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you can find me, Autumn Wolf, on Facebook. Wolf with an E on Facebook. On Twitter, you can find me at Autumn Iron Wolf, no E. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, WordPress is Iron Wolf Circle. E or no E? No E. <laughs> <laughs> anytime it's Iron Wolf, you can assume the E is gone. And anytime it's my name, it, the E is there. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't realize how complicated that would be until somebody asked me. It's anyway. okay. So from all of us here at Millennial Pagan Podcast, Mary Meet. Mary Part. And, and Mary Meet Again. She would be. Oh. She would be known as. <laughs> All the phones in the room oh, go beep. beep.